You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Jeremy Lassen. He's the publisher of Nightshade Books. Thank you for joining me, Jeremy. Always great to talk to you, Rick. Uh, Jeremy, let's catch up about Worldcon. Um, tell me what your impression of Worldcon was. Um, I was strangely optimistic about Worldcon. It was in Canada and Montreal, and mm-hmm. it was, you know, in Canada it was a little bit less attended than it was in Denver, I believe. Um, dealers' room was a bit smaller, mainly due to um, U.S. dealers not being able to get. Um, uh, books through customs easily. So the dealer's room was kind of small, but just the vibe there was really kind of upbeat and positive, and there seemed to be a lot of um, young writers and interesting conversations going on. Uh, there was a big interview with um, Charlie Strauss interviewing um, Nobel laureate Paul Krugman, who's a uh, closet science fiction fan, or not so closet, actually. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Paul Krugman was there talking with Charlie Strauss, and it was just a really interesting world con, I thought. Now, I have to ask, did you attend Comic-Con? I did attend Comic-Con, yes. And, and well, tell me about the differences between the two, because I talk, just talk, got done talking to Lou Anders about this, and I'm curious, to, and he had one take, I'm curi- and you have a different take, so I'm curious what your take is on, was on Comic-Con. Well, Comic-Con has been co-opted by big media, and while Comic-Con still has a focus on you know, science fiction, fantasy, and horror, it's more a media focus. It's about the video games, it's about the movies, it's about, you know, pretty much everything but the comics now, it seems. You know, the comics are still a big portion of it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the place where, you, where major studios debut their, you know, summer blockbusters or their fall superstar hits. And there's, well, there is a core group of people talking about science fiction there. Uh, you know, the vast majority of people who go to Comic-Con aren't there you know, to learn about the new Paolo Bajagalupi book. They're there to learn about, you know, see the trailer for the new Sherlock Holmes movie or see the advanced screening of, you know, the new Quentin Tarantino movie. And I think it's great that science fiction has an ability to tag along. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and, you know, science fiction is a, such a big part of the media mm-hmm. focus at Comic-Con. I think it's great that, you know, the written and traditional forms of science fiction and the smaller science fiction productions can tag along to that, you know, 200,000 person extravaganza that is Comic-Con. But Worldcon is, you know, it's more focused on the books. Um, and it comes, Worldcon comes out of a tradition of science fiction fandom. Mm-hmm. And frankly, there isn't that tradition of fandom for the vast majority of attendees at, at a Comic-Con. The Worldcon focuses on a different type of fandom, you know, the old school you know, Futurians and the the old school science fiction fandom that, you know, you and I both know so well mm-hmm. from our science fiction history. And, well, there's certainly a sense of a grang of science fiction fandom. I think that there is, um, you know, still room for growth, you know. If just 10% or 5% of that Comic-Con audience, you know, discovers science fiction fandom, you know, Traditional science fiction conventions are, you know, still going to be alive and growing. I just had actually, well, at Worldcon, I, I had the most optimistic moment about the future of science fiction that I've had, you know, in the last five or ten years. It was really, it was really quite spectacular. I thought, 
it was at a room party in one of the conventions. One of the publishers was putting on a room party. I won't name who, um, but it was about 4.30, 5 in the morning, and I kind of stumbled in, and the people putting it on were kind of cleaning up, and I went upstairs. It was in a suite, and so there's a balcony upstairs. And I went upstairs, and there were two two teenagers wearing uh, convention badges, kind of um, doing some heavy petting, some fornicating. And I thought to myself, how long has it been since there was a world con where teenagers were, you know, getting it on at a you know science fiction room party. I thought that was like the reversal of the gang of science fiction right there. Like, <laughs> right. Literally signs of new life. It's like the you know those shoots of green sticking up through the snow. <laughs> I was oddly optimistic and it just kind of bemused. And it was also kind of cute, you know, kind of brought me back to, you know, those those golden teenage years where, you know, any semi private public place that you could get out of, you know, your parents' sight to you know, cuddle with your significant other of the time. It was just very cute and also very heartwarming because I was like, hey, there is a new generation of fans and they are coming to Worldcon. So that's that's totally cool. And then later I was talking to her and she was, the, the girl was going on extensively about how she hates the shiny vegetarian vampires of Twilight and she, you know, likes the old school vampires and she had very strong feelings about this. And I thought that's exactly what, you know. That's what you want in our fans. Exactly. <laughs> Well, that's great to hear. Uh, now, tell us a, a little bit uh, about um, some of the things that you as Nightshade did. I mean, this uh, new Palo Abachigalupi book is, I think, a huge deal in, in many ways. It really uh, is, I think, uh, the first of the resetting of the publishing world and because it, it's a beautiful hardcover. It's edited by Juliet Ellman. It's published by you. This is a big coup. I certainly am very proud of it. I the the cover design and oh, artwork gorgeous. I struggled with for you know nine or ten months trying to get that right because I really feel a sense of responsibility here. I think Paolo is one of the most important science fiction writers to come along in a long time, and I knew I couldn't get this wrong. I thought to me, you know, the number of writers who I've seen who the, you know their novels have had bad covers that you know. Think their sales, you know, think their sales or careers, and you know, just cause them no end of grief. I just, I was stressed for like the last nine months about this cover because I was like, I can't get this one wrong. I have to do it right because, you know, I can't be the art director slash editor responsible for destroying Paolo's career. You know, <laughs> it's like I need to be the one that lifts him up because he's an important voice in science fiction. Um, he did. He was up for the Hugo um, in the uh, in one of the short fiction categories and did not win. Mm-hmm. But he had the added um, bonus of the book actually cleared Canadian customs and got there, which was very exciting because not all of our books did. And really? um, so, it, and then after it got there, um, two days before the convention, the hotel um, gave the boxes away to the mistakenly gave them to the convention instead of holding them for me. And so, one of the um, <laughs> one of the convention organizers, the convention center was away from the hotel, so it was just like I had to go to the convention center and say, "Hi, you might have gotten some boxes that belong to me." And one of the logistics directors at the, at the convention, like, eventually found them underneath the freebie table, and he sort of saved Paolo's, I don't know, sense of sanity and my sense of sanity, because I was there to launch the book and to have Paolo there, and so we didn't have books for his reading. 
Um, but it was very well attended, and a lot of people were coming to the table asking about it. And so then that Friday morning, when the books turned up, um, it turned into an impromptu mass signing for Paolo. He didn't have anything scheduled for the first, you know, three hours. And he was basically signing books for the first three hours. We sold, I don't know, like 60 copies in that first day, and we sold out the rest of rest of the 100 that we had shipped there in the second day. So we sold out of Paolo's book um, in two days, in a day and a half. And it does strike me, I agree with you, I think Paolo Bacigalupi is really, in fact, an important science fiction writer. He's uh, one step ahead of the curve of, you know, where he's where the rest of the culture is going to be about a year from now or something like that. And I, we're already starting to see, I think, a lot of more uh, popular fiction dealing with some of the subjects that Paolo's deeply immersed in and technically immersed in and also artistically immersed in. And, and I think that this book is really going to be a, a, a pretty big deal. Yeah, that's definitely the case because, like you say, he's technically immersed. He's doing things that only science fiction can do, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's doing them. He's doing this. This isn't a book. This isn't a nostalgia book. This isn't a book that you know looks back to the you know the wonders of you know Heinleinian, Campbellian science fiction. This is doing for the 21st century. You know what you know the great writers of science fiction in the 20th century did. It's talking about the future. It's not talking about uh, a nostalgia for a future that might never come or that type of thing. Well, it's also talking directly about the present. And, and you know, it reminded me of a bit of, you know, Stand on Zanzibar and, and Dahlgren in the, in the way that it creates a, a world that's a com- both a convincing future but just reminds you of all the, like, the worst parts of the present. <laughs> Absolutely. Science fiction is, you know, clearly a reflection of, of today and, you know, it is obviously about today, but it's about today and where we're going and you know, what our choices are. So and and I don't mean to, you know, jump up on a high horse and say that like, you know, Paolo is good for you like spinach or, you know, make sure you eat your vegetables kind of a thing, because most importantly, Paolo is a great storyteller mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. just utterly compelling. And I fell in love with, with his work in short form, and then when I got to look at this manuscript, I just absolutely went after it because I think it's going to be one of the important books. I, I, I utterly agree. Now, um, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the other stuff that's coming out from Nightshade. I've, I've seen uh, we have a, a big vampire anthology. Yeah, by Blood We Live by John Joseph Adams. Um, that's done up in the mold of the Living Dead anthology that uh, John Joseph Adams also edited. And it's a, a big reprint anthology of kind of the best vampire fiction in the last 30 years. And it's uh, doing really well. I think there's a, 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 a opening in the marketplace. It used to be these big reprint anthologies. You know, there were houses like, there were publishing houses like Carolyn Graff or, you know, Byron Price or, you know, iBooks and stuff like that who would do these big reprint anthologies, these kind of capstone if this is if you only have one book about X on your shelf, it should be this book kind of things. And Carolyn Graff isn't around anymore. Byron Price iBooks isn't around anymore. There really hasn't been anybody doing this in a serious way. And John Joseph Adams got a um, had originally proposed a book on Wastelands, uh, Stories of the Apocalypse, to us, and that had enough commercial traction that we kind of um, used its success you know, to follow up with uh, the zombie book and the vampire book. Um, and, yes, we have a Sherlock Holmes book coming out this fall, too. But, um, you know, those are really nice. We have another, we're kicking off a new series 
of um, reprint anthologies. Uh, St. Martin's canceled the um, Ellen Datlow, Kelly Link, Gavin Grant, um, Year's Best Fantasy and Horror Anthology. Um, there wasn't going to be one this year, and so we got together with Ellen Datlow, and we're launching a Best Horror of the Year series um, coming out um, next month, and that is going to be a companion to our Jonathan Strawn um, Science Fiction and Fantasy combined volume. Mm-hmm. So it kind of mixes things up, but, uh, you know, I really like to see that kind of continuity of editorial voice, of editorial vision about the horror genre, and Ellen Datlow has been clearly such an influential voice when it comes to horror fiction, so I'm really happy to be, you know, kind of continuing in that tradition. I think that that's a, an important, you know, short fiction, particularly in the horror horror segment, has always been, you know, kind of one of the dominant forms. And so I'm really happy to kind of be giving a continuous platform to that. But um, but also, um, speaking of short fiction, um, one of the uh, Hugo winners um, at Worldcon this year was uh, John Kalima's Electric Velocipede. He, mm-hmm. won, for, he won a Hugo for uh, Best Fanzine. And that was kind of a big change for the type of things that are nominated in the fanzine category. But, um, you know, John's been working for seven, eight years now on Electric Velocipede. And it's really great to see the fans respond to it that way. And, you know, the EV, as of um, the last two issues, has been co published, you know, it's been published by Nightshade. So, you know, that's kind of an in-house victory, but it's really a victory for, for John's, you know, work over the last, you know, eight, eight years. And that's a, that, I think that's good to see some, some change-ups there in, in the, the fanzine world because it, it starts to sometimes, I think, seem a little bit hidebound in terms of, you know, the choices made. So it was nice to see that. It's happen. kind of like what we were talking about, the, the evolution mm-hmm. of science fiction fandom. And, you know, it's not just the same, you know... Um, I really love the people at Locus, and but they didn't win in in, in the Locus Hugo category this year, and, <laughs> and that went to Weird Tales. So I think it's really interesting to see, you know, the the readers and the the voters in the Hugo Awards kind of um kind of spreading out and and recognizing different things. I've been speaking with Jeremy Lassen. He's the publisher of Nightshade Books. Thank you for joining me, Jeremy. My pleasure. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.